everybody. It's LOI Central with Dan and Johnny. Well, well, well. Have we a title race? I think we have. You're very welcome to this week's show with Johnny Ward and Dan McDonald. And on today's show, two lads who know all about title races, Colin Hawkins and Mark Roster, uh, come in to talk about... Uh, What's developing into a fascinating conclusion to, conclusion rather to uh, the league this season. We're going to also talk to Mr. A, a.k.a. Aidan McNeilis, about Finn Harp's uh, ongoing stadium project. Um, but mainly, Dan, this week we are going to talk about Derry City and Shamrock Rovers and what is becoming an actual title race. We are in association with Future Ticketing, Collar and Cuff, and obviously the Porterhouse Brewery are sponsors all season. Uh, Dan, I was in Inchy Core on Friday, and Pats are absolutely buzzing. I think this game in Tala Friday is going to be intriguing, and I can see Shamrock Rovers having a bit of a battle on their hands, and I'm not actually sure they're going to win anything this season. Discuss. Oh, well, I mean, it's the only thing they have left to win. Yeah. Let's think they're going to win the Europa no, Conference, no. which they've been eliminated from. We'll talk about that as um, well. Since our, since our last show. Um, I don't know, yeah, it's like... Um, do you know what like to do the, the the graphs you know the the sort of the the election wall like john king and cnn on election night or something i, I want to see the graph of like do you know what they go with like you know, 10 o'clock here was a situation two o'clock here's a situation and mm. it's going up and down i'm trying to figure out that do we have a title race graph for this year because i think early on we had no title race and then we had it was done you definitely then the dog were vaguely in you, it you definitely could have done it at some stage mm. um and I was very much, well, it's not done. You can't say it's done until it's done. But, but you thought but, the same. But I thought they'll win. But I said, well, they have to win the games. And They do have your Europa Conference I, League, I will. I mean, I, I will say, I, I, we had a bit of correspondence with some Rovers fans who were adamant they'd win the league by double figure points. And it was like, you haven't been in the group stages before. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's no doubt, it's caused them difficulties. And I think as well... That's a euphemism. Well, like, I think that, that the mad thing about it is, is that they've clearly shown with their selections for the European games that the title race is the priority. Um but also I, I wonder what sort of what sort of seed does that plant with people as well too like the, in, in the, the players. Well like. just like the like momentum I think is a big thing, you know, and a team that's winning like takes confidence from winning and they're like clearly people believe that this is what you should do in Europe and it's probably that you need a squad, but there's sort of like four changes, five changes game to game and it's game on Thursday, game on Sunday different types of games and they just they just haven't really they've just lost a small bit of their rhythm if you know what I mean um, and I said I mean you hark back to 2016 oh, here we go again now obviously that caught up with them they didn't make many changes really but they had a great momentum and like we were winning and they were carrying it into European games and they were carrying that high now they eventually had a massive burnout at the end of that and it cost them um, the next year but Rovers are supposed like you know they're they're trying to be very strategic about picking players for games and it may well be vindicated, like come the end, like they could be really fresh in their last couple of league games. Um, but you would just think at the moment that even their selections for some of the European games is is sort of sending a, a small bit of a message that Jesus, Derry are coming for us here. You know, we're we're a little bit worried here. Like Rory Gaffney, we're not going to play you at all against Molda here because we need you for this game and draw that because we need like you know, we we have to win this game and draw that. And they didn't. They didn't. And. I mean, they very nearly didn't win that game against Shells only for the, the brilliance of Ori Gaffney. I mean, you know, in the run of play, um, you know, they've put themselves in a situation where they could have dropped points. Now, I wasn't at the game on Sunday. I was in Waterford Shells. We haven't mentioned the fact that Derry and Shells in the cup final 
um, and we'll, that'll probably be covered in the mailbag. A few few questions around that. Um, and that's where I, that's the game I was at at the weekend. Little old shells. Little old shells. Which nobody ever called them. But um, the, the the sort of, by all accounts, the, the run of play in, in, in Drada was that Rovers were very comfortable for the first 2025. Uh, got ahead, looked routine. It was an understrength Drada side as well. They're missing quite a few bodies. And Which I think ended they, up with 10 they, men. And they did a few carrying knocks as well. Mm. Um, but then, with nothing to play for. then Drada you know, get a goal back. And it sounds like, yeah, you would expect Rovers to be the better side. But you know, again, it just sounds like it wasn't, it wasn't like dominant and commanding. I think you're right, Dan. They've lost their rhythm and they're not playing all that well. And that's why I think uh, Derry City are the best team in the country at this particular moment. As in, if there were like a, a if there was a, a tournament tomorrow, run off on the day, I'd be fancying Derry to win it. But I'd have Pats and Rovers very very close because Pat, Pats are good at the moment. And I was watching the game and the, the, the on Friday night. The one thing that struck me was Barry Cotter. The difference he could make for Rovers in Europe, he is playing unbelievably well now. I don't know the circumstances why Rovers let him go. He wasn't obviously. Don't think they. I don't think people are unhappy to see him leave. Yeah, and he his record, I think, for Rovers this season when he started actually wasn't amazingly good, but uh, they started with uh, three at the back on Friday, and he was right wing back, and. Yeah, there is that clip of Luke Byrne in the Shells game trying to like rugby tackle him, but like it was the same with Bowes. Um, he's he's so much pace, he's lightning pace, and he's he brings this dynamic kind of um, offensive quality to the team that they can then s- sort of um, supplement with the likes of Atakai with that pace and all that. And Bowes were sort of at sixes and sevens at times. I was just going, but the the Rovers thing is like they they don't have the squad. They literally well, if, if you're starting like with all due respect to Aaron Green. Like Aaron Green um, has never been a prolific scorer, but if you're starting with him up front, obviously he should have scored in the first half on Thursday. If you're starting him up front in games in Europe, I, I would sort of be saying that Aaron Green is brilliant at holding up the ball and all that. I just thought you'd have more options at this stage. And again, the lack of pace. They're being found out by the lack of pace, the lack of legs in the team. Uh, and then you, you look at Pats on Friday... Pats were good in Europe. No, they didn't. They didn't play the caliber of team the Rovers are playing. They have legs. Uh, they've they've Chris Forrester playing incredibly well. I can't wait for this game on Friday. I think it's going to be. I spoke to Mark Lynch this morning. I think it's practically going to be sold out. Very very close. Brilliant atmosphere. Pats have huge away support all season. Uh, place was buzzing on Friday, and Rovers. I think it's an interesting point to make. Mentally, are they? Well, I think you listen. You've covered a lot of points there. Like you know. Uh, in that Derry um, have a very tough run in as well has to be said okay but like yeah they, they, they have a tough run in but it depends on a couple of situations like you know is it in dark situation alive going to the last day if it's not then suddenly that's not tough you know there's and, and like Rovers have that with UCD so mm. people's run-ins at the moment like are dictated by like Derry like Shells this week for example I think with Shells in the cup final I think Sean Boyd is suspended this week sorry Sean but I think you actually are um, you know there's hurt his feelings you know or? Matty Smith can't play um, mm. so th- that to me doesn't look the toughest game in the world as much as their games and you know a bit of shadow boxing with the cup in mind that's but anyway, interesting but, 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 but let's let's, let's, let's when, they, when they go to Tala it's going to be at least game on that's well, what we let want. Me, let me finish. I mean, you're just literally throwing so many points at me here. I just can't address Discuss. them. There's so much going on. Um, 
the the Pats thing, see Pats, right, they are I see your point about Barry Cotter in Europe. I think Barry Cotter wasn't suited to a team that controls the ball in a lot of games where they're on top, as Rovers can tend to do in domestic games mm. here. Don't think that's really suited to him. I can see what you're saying about Europe, where they have almost less of the ball and they need that sort of option to break out and go past people and stuff. I can see your argument there. I think that's actually why Pats in Europe, uh, again, they didn't play the calibre of teams, but you know, if you have someone like Owen Doyle and then they runners off him, and like Adam O'Reilly is very good at sort of breaking from deep, and you saw that against Sophia, he should have scored twice and, and didn't, and that probably cost him. Um, but the, the type of energy, like O'Reilly making that lung burst and run in the last minute in Oriel to score, right. you know, Atakai, Cotter, they're actually quite well set up to probably be a good counter attacking side paths. And, and Rovers, the thing about that is that they probably don't get much practice counter-attacking in the league at home because they're quite dominant. And they go to Europe and probably ask to be doing something different. Good point. Now, I know that they played Dundalk. Of course, they had that game against Dundalk where they beat them 3-0. We probably thought the league was over then. Um, and they let Dundalk have the ball and Dundalk's high line and they counter-attack them, you know, for whatever. I don't know what the possession stats were, but I think the dog probably had more possession, but Rovers won easily. Similarly in Macedonia, North Macedonia, they let the ball and they won easily, but they can't do that against better teams. Um, and it, it does seem like this, like we can play back our pod. It's, it's very self-serving to like to, to talk about, it. but we did talk about after the Ludogratz game away that the age profile of the team and it does, there's no doubt that against better teams, they don't have the dynamic sort of qualities to, um, to really hurt people. In fact, I can't remember who it was I was speaking to about this recently. They were saying that they spoke to a particular manager who always wanted a, a certain profile of, of his dressing room where, like, you know, only a handful of players over the age of 30, and a, 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 a number of runners in the 24 to 30 and then the 18 to 24. And there's no doubt that the Rovers squad, yes, they've tried to mark you in certain games in Ferrisite, but they're almost, almost too young in a way. Like, they don't have... Like, Andy Lyons has been... Uh, was, was obviously injured. They didn't... Back in on Sunday, Terry didn't take any risks with him on Thursday, and he's going to Blackpool. But I say it again, they don't have a, a core of players in that sort of 20 to 26 bracket. And I was looking at their 2020 squad the other day just for some reason. And, and again, like you Jack Byrne a couple of years younger, and he was in better shape at the time in, in the sense of where he was at. He didn't have, he, had, he obviously had the back injury, which hurt him in Cyprus then. But you had Aaron McInniff, who was box to box, you know, uh, and that was probably a better Rovers team than the one now, even though the squad. It's probably better now, or deeper, but I think that 2020 team would have been superior, in my view. Um, and I, I think whatever happens with them now, you'll see them address it. But I'd still be a little bit wary of saying, oh, you know, if there's a tournament tomorrow, um, you know, Derry will be here and Rovers pass. I, I completely see what you're saying on form, right? I understand it. But the one thing I would say in their defence, Rovers defence versus the others, that Derry were almost playing under no pressure for a while there. You know, Pats again out of Europe. Like Rovers have been going to the well with all their games scrutinised and watched, and they're not, they're not playing well at the moment. Um, but I still think if everything clicked for them on a good day, look, I, I think they probably still are. They have the best side, but I don't know. It's a weird one. I'm sort of disagreeing with myself. I'm not sure what their best eleven really is now. You know, with the you know with the little you know you, you might have an idea of their best eleven, but then. Well, yes, it's their best eleven if he's at a hundred percent. Exactly, and some of them aren't at that at the exactly. moment. Alan Manis is a concern now. I mean, Alan Manis went off mm. in draw. That's a real worry, you know. And I did hear a suggestion a while back he'd been sort of playing through a little bit of a knock, and that wouldn't be unusual for a lot of players. Certainly did and last he, season. He's yeah. so he's so important. Mm. Um, no disrespect to Leon Poles, but like he's barely played. 
Uh, I know we played in the cup games this year, and I don't know was that a product of just an agreement. I thought that was like, hmm, like that's you know they they went to Derry in the cup game, didn't play Manus. It's like well, maybe they've just told Poles like no, we'll, we'll play in the cup games like Creevy Keller in the EFL Cup. But I just thought, hmm, are they just like giving Manus a little break here because it's demanding schedule for him Pico Lopez is back at a very very important time but uh, in terms of the confidence stakes Pats will will have no fear whatsoever on Friday and this is my point Pats Um, because the way they are quite well set up to sort of hit teams on the counter you know they can trouble them now I presume Cotter won't play because he's on loan Um, so yeah that's going to be you know so but they they have you know Atakai and O'Reilly as I mentioned and um, even sometimes how they would use players like Billy King or even Forrester. Like mm. sometimes you can play Forrester against the better teams a little bit higher up, but then he's yeah. a bit more effective. They um, had to so, switch from. So the other thing about Patrick, they Jamie two, Lennon did pick up an injury last yeah, week. Yeah, the two players he, injured so. in the first half, yeah. Lennon and um, Brockbank, who went off, which then entailed that they switched to four at the back in the second half, and they had a sixteen-year-old playing centre back, which in a game of that um, magnitude, it's just striking how good uh, Sam Curtis is becoming and. They were not troubled really at all in the second half by Bowes, who obviously got a worldly to kind of briefly make it a game. Um, it was an interesting one from Bowes. You can you can feel from their fans. It's a bit like the old the Jets just end the season kind of type vibe. It's like, um, yeah, this is, and we haven't even mentioned Declan. Demain. No, no, and we'll, we'll, so we'll, much to get through in the mailbag. Yeah, bag. let's just go to the mailbag. That allows us to deal with. A we lot could of be here all day, Dan. But we're, just to be clear to people who've started listening to this pod, we will not be here all day. <laughs> let's go to the mailbag. What's the time? It's mailbag time. A big bag of electronic letters. Should I go to the cup finals first? Or the cup, the cup semi-finals first? Um, I love Duffer, but he is definitely channeling the inner Mourinho stuff. And well, it's yeah, very entertaining. I mean, the, the, the clip he, the clip of him after the game on Sunday got enormous hits. It's just, it's we we've said this a million times. Everybody hates us. It's great say. for the league. And it is kind of, I ha- with all due respect to the other two clubs, it's kind of the final, I think, that's the best that we could have gotten from the four teams that were left. Kudos to Treaty, who gave it a hell of a go on Brandywell. Um, but I think Shells, very, very interesting how many people Shells can bring. What is their wider fan base? Even on a, in, a, in a day trip across the well, river. Well, they have, as has been pointed out, they have big schoolboys, um, schoolgirls set up and stuff. Like, I think a Dublin club... You know, if you invite all of them, their parents, you know, families, etc. Basically back in Ring's End as well. Yeah, like... There's I, history I, there. I think this will work out okay, this final. It's, mm. it's clearly not the combination at the start of the year. You would have drawn up to deliver the most. I, I think in Derry, there seems to be a vibe up there. They could, have, they could have sold any number of tickets for the games against Treaty or um, against Rovers. So did they seem to think that... Like, you have to remember, like, the FA Cup final in 2012... The Africa final in 2012, like Derry and some Pats. No, so it was a 2014, the the famous one where Derry Pats got over the line. I think that was something like 17,000. I think that was the lowest of the um, the Aviva era. And I know would know some Derry people quite well who'd be sort of some big fans, but some more casual ones. And again, a lot of them travel, say, in 2012 and wouldn't have. In 20, and I think there's a, there was a bit of like a fatigue of like, here we go again, we're in another final where they've had a little bit of a break from it now. So I think this will work out okay. Um, and the FEI, of course, I mean, I did get it. I mean, giving them enough grief. I mean, a couple of months back, I'm pretty sure I got something on Instagram. It was like, you know, it was like, there's a, a moody shot of Johnny. Here's another moody shot of Johnny out in town. Oh, wait a minute. Here's a promoted ad about the FEI Cup final. 
and it just sort of popped up in my on my Moody story. shot. You like to do a sort of an atmospheric shot. Like last night, you try and make uh, you make sort of Camden Street in Dublin look like sort of New York in the nineteen seventies. Like that's that. that's the vibe of sure. Well, New York in the seventies was actually crime ridden, but still, I mean, you know, it was still uh, sort of. It was the League of Ireland Moody again. What was his name? Mick Moody. Mick Moody. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That, that, like, that, that. Hope your, you're listening your, in, Mick. Your Instagram is a, is a bit Mick um, Moody. Um, but Eva Moore who writes for the Sunday Times She's like two, two minutes after full time I apparently opened a and b in my gaff in Dublin Last count is five people staying A lot of dairy people are going to be down in Dublin And making a proper day of it Someone suggested me they could bring 15,000 down I, I, I feel The old days I feel that that's ambitious But I would love to be um, Love to be proved wrong on that Anyway the mailbag uh, Dwayne Doyle All the negative attention on Damien Duff's comments Is overshadowing what a great job he has done with Charles this season Staying in the Premier and FA Cup final, not to mention the young lads he's brought through. And to, to, uh, together with that. that group, they will fight for each other. I yeah. think that's correct. Yeah, I, I think, um, no, Dwayne, big fan of the podcast and all that. Um, I think the Cup thing, they beat a septic Bose team. Like, Bose were a disgrace in Tolka, right? They then beat Waterford away, which I think was probably a bigger challenge. And they kind of snuffed out a Waterford team that is, you have to remember, scored six goals against Pats and, and Dundalk and barely had a chance really Sunday. Um, but I think the big thing with Duff and Joey O'Brien, I think this has to be, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, two in a team here. And whoever else they have, it's not all about Damien Duff. That squad really, really play for each other. They really do. And you could watch Bowes on Friday and say, Yeah. Mm, and yeah. when you talk about it, be septic, but like, I mean, like, when you think about it, like Waterford took Pats and Dundalk out of it. Derry took Rovers out of it. After that, like, you know, Shells have had as tough a route as anyone could have faced when those teams are taken out of the equation. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, like, well, they, they've avoided Derry until now, yeah. Yeah. But, like, you know, Derry, Derry, like, you know, our Shamrock is the only Premier Division club they they played. You know, they got treat you home in the semi final. Mm. It's not difficult. So, like, we are, uh, when you have a league with like four teams that are a little bit ahead of the rest at the moment, like, everyone's route to the cup final may seem generous if you take those teams. Where does Duff bring them next season? Um, well, I think it'd be well. I mean, if they get into Europe, obviously, I mean, if they win the cup, that's that sort of uh, opens up the possibilities. I think they're going to expand their budget either way. I think he's alluded to that, and um, they've got outside investment. I don't know. I mean, like they, they definitely deserves credit for the likes. I mean, Gavin Malloy has been a real fine this season. That was a hell of played a him left well, like he hasn't played left wing back before. Mm. You know, he's a midfielder, and that tactic worked very well. Like Negru was in, and um, they've had Hadiki's okay. Hadiki hasn't necessarily looks a player. Looks a player, but you know, mm. he's managed to integrate a couple of them um, at around the core of like. Listen, I don't think they have a small budget shells, but it's a, it's a smaller budget mm. than than some of the teams they would be competing with. And um, obviously, when the last time they played Derry, I think Damien Duff was keen to make some comments to the Derry players about their budget, um, which has added a little bit of spice. To one, one other thing, Duffer, um, if you are listening in, and I'm sure you're Nick a, a regular, had a, yeah, a regular listener. Giants, sleeping giants. Well, show us, show us, show us with the big crowd you're going Nick to bring. Nick O'Mara, ask Johnny what he thinks of Duffer grilling them for calling shells a sleeping giant, but then calling them little old shells on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Duffer, I think you'll have to answer that. <laughs> I, I, I've, I don't know you. You're great for the league, but uh, yeah, I'm not buying the the inner Mourinho is quite transparent. Yeah. It's working wonders. Yeah, we he's a better he's a better manager than Mourinho right now. Actually, <laughs> Mourinho is busted. Uh, let me see, Daniel uh, Jerry Thunder. Why is there such disdain disdain for Duff? Even from the beginning, people were saying he would walk out within a month. I think we did call out on this show that was not going to be the case, and you know, I never believed that would be the case. I know throughout the season he's been abrasive, but why were fans of so other clubs so quick to write him off? I think people just thought like, it, but I, I love the Shells fans chant now of zombie like in your head, in your head, Duffer. 
Duffer because like he does say things like his comments about the wage of other clubs triggered a lot of people like you know around the league in different places and you wouldn't think like Pat Shell's games again there was stuff going on between more so Alan Quinn on his staff and and like Roddy was on second captains last night he's promoting his book and Roddy remember when he used to wind up the the Kaiser Slaughter manager back in the day but like you get these upstarts and that's part of their makeup. You wouldn't necessarily think Damien Duff, who's like the highest profile person almost ever in the League of Ireland, would need to do that. But he obviously thinks, yeah, this is going to work. And it's fascinating to watch. And it's, 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 I, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't like exaggerate the point, but I think the upsurge in crowds and interest in the League of Ireland is not unrelated to Damien Duff being involved because it's so much publicity. Like, yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I think, like, I mean, for example, like Pat's amazing crowds. I don't think they're getting, they're filling it out because of like Damien Duff. It's more the you know their community work. But I understand the general vibe. I'm very impressed by how the crowds have held up across mm. the season this year. Um, and it's a shame you didn't get to hear the RSC roar, which is like they were subdued. The McShells yeah. strangled the life out of that game. Mm. And there was something impressive. I mean, they did, they did concede four against Pat's, but they got one up and they completely strangled the life. And mm. Waterford sort of froze maybe a small bit too. Um, I think it was PJ Dunn. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. Was Dan blind? Where did Dan Sources go for Declan Devine? He seemed as blindsided as everyone. Uh, Pat Dunn, it was, yeah. I um, would have been, I would have been 500 to 1 Declan Devine. Yeah, I mean, so when was that? It was a Friday. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, fucking hell. Like, you know, that was a surprising one. I did, around like the early afternoon, I did get a size bit of an oh no fucking hell from Father Ted. Sorry, but uh, I, I was also <laughs> oh off that no. day. I was off that day, but I got wind that there was an. But I must say, I got wind there was an appointment coming at three o'clock. But at that stage, didn't know who it was, and it was only until very, very shortly before um, it was uh, came out. I think Eric White, in fairness, did have it from Radio File. Um, yeah, I mean, this is weird. I mean, it did, I mean, everything that that, ha- that was uh, said last week is still uh, is still the case of what happened, and in fact. Yeah. You know, when the Ian Ryan thing sort of... Because people in Bowes were expecting Ian Ryan to take the job on Monday, and then he didn't. Um, I genuinely believed them they would sort of put their foot in the ball and wait. And there was a sense of, okay, but but clearly, Divine... I, I mean, when Divine might do some stuff, I'd love to know that he applied at the outset, or when did he come into the mix? i kind of presuming he's out of work, he probably did, that maybe he was always there as an option, and when the Ryan thing didn't happen, they just decided to press on with it. Um, but... Yeah, sort of a mixed response to it, I think. Um, Just to to name some of the players in terms of the players he brought to Derry City. uh, Cameron McJanet, Will Patching, Kieran Mm. Call, Kieran Harkin, Ali Gilchrist, Jamie McDonough, and obviously um, Hodge. Joe Hodge. You know, I I, I have a suspicion that... um, I have a suspicion that he's he's a good judge of a player, but I'm not sure is he almost like, is he ruthless enough as a manager? And it felt for me at Derry that, and funnily enough, one of the main games I remember um, from the Decky Divine second era was at Daly Mount, where they were really, really good for much of the game, 1-0 up, like really good, and conceded two goals in the last like three or four minutes and lost the game, and he probably lost his job shortly after that. But it does feel like you were kind of let go twice by Derry, and this this is completely broadside to me. I'm amazed. Yeah, I think he's. It's just, it's, but I think it's fair play to him for buying and because, getting it. Well, it's amazing because you don't associate him with a Dublin club. Like mm. you sort of think, you know, it's like he's had a couple of stints at Derry, and you just you sort of don't imagine like there's almost certain managers who are on the Dublin circuit and the Eastern circuit, and you don't necessarily associate them with. Sort of, and 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 the opposite is the case. Talk here, about you know? the Eastern Circuit very shortly as well. 
but um the 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 yeah I I was I'm a little bit surprised and I think yeah that's an understatement in some ways I think gobsmacked yeah in some ways and a lot of people were I think but you know like I think there's a, it's a change of scenery like maybe like you're managing in Derry like you're part of the community everyone knows you like you know it's on top of you this is something different like it's moving to a new area it's you know it's moving what full, about his coaching to a club tickets? turning full time I'm not sure what that's mm. going to look like in that's going to be comic. but um, I'd imagine Derek Pender would be involved mm. in whatever happens um, as he was due to be I think under Alan Reynolds um, but the yeah I, I I think it's completely he's actually in a weird way untested in this type of environment you know he's been around his own club totally, like yeah. and knowing the players in the region he was working for the IFA you know, in between stints and and you know would be well regarded in that world so this is something completely new I think the jury is out I think a lot of people even in the game are like okay let's see how this goes just not mm. entirely convinced but again you know, he, he could he could surprise a lot of people here. Um, clearly, Bowes were what it does show is that Bowes were desperate to um, to get an appointment in quickly, probably to assess the player they the players year. they have that are under contract. So we understand that. And on that, I mean, we had a quite a few references to Liam Burt and Ali Coote. Um Yeah, like what's, what's going on with Burt and Coote? Friday. What's happening, etc. Um, yeah, so. Uh, the situations with them and Kuda, I think it's still under contract potentially but I mean they were they were dropped on Friday I think there was a suggestion they were going to be asked to play with the underage teams the weekend yes. I'm not sure if that came to pass um, Bert is definitely going to leave um, I think uh, I think uh, he might be also having advice from her I think Gary Rogers might be advising him you know Midi Raiola uh, what happened with Bert I don't know I the suggestion is that he wanted to go to the UK but he will have an offer from Tala so um from Rovers w- or from Well yeah, yeah, <laughs> Kill the Man FC <laughs> with Gary McCabe and them. Um so I, I'd be surprised if he didn't go and see what would, would be possible in the UK, but I think Rovers are clearly they need players like him. So um that was my understanding of it. So I'm not sure. Coot, yeah, I can't see them playing for Bowes again. I mean, Coot's obviously a bit more complicated with a contract though. So maybe maybe Devine goes in and, and there's peace talks and they can sort things out. Who knows? Like, you know, th- that could be his approach to it actually. Do we yeah. have... Uh, but that, that's basically the, the situation there. I think... Um, Do we I, have... I don't think I don't think the, the sort of the caretaker management would hold them in particularly high regard. And I, I, I presume that advice would be... Uh, Interesting. Would be, would be sort of uh, imparted to uh, to Declan Devine coming in. So, do, do we have? Um, it, and I apologise if we don't. And if we don't, it might be telling in terms of where that club is going. But it, do we have a reference to Bray in the mailbag? There was there was one reference to Bray, um, slightly slightly different context in the context of the Rotherham manager's comments about the League of Ireland and someone saying the football they've seen in Bray this season wouldn't be very good. But obviously, the football they've seen in Bray this season is toxically bad. I mean, sort of hammered by. Hammered by Cove, um, but uh, you would have know. gotten you would so they lost five one to Cove as it is now. Um, I'm looking at the fixtures. Okay, so at loan, at loan you, maybe you've messaged me consistently about Bray in the last couple of days. Like I find this quite sad because yeah. um, I, I I have a real soft spot for Bray, and I think as a club, it has massive potential in the sense of it could be the Wicklow club. It's the Southside kind of club, the Seaside club. Um, Bray itself is a big area. And it was, I think it's the first away ground I went to. I've always have fond memories of it. Pat Devlin was in charge then. And as I'm coming back from Mallow at the races Sunday, 
um, my driver is from Wicklow. He's like, do you mind if I turn on East Coast FM, if we can get it in this torrential rain? I was like, fine. Who's on? Pat Devlin apparently comes on every Sunday night. So he was, he's speaking to the... Um, the presenter is not a big football man, so he's given him a fairly easy time. But what really struck me was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is basically what he said. He said, this was not a merger. This was a handover, right? So Pat Devlin is saying, effectively, Cab and Teeley were handed this, like, and he's like, I, I don't blame them for handing it over in that this is the state of the club that Bray were in. And I, I, I think there's definitely an element of truth to this. But when you have the, the, the reports of, yet again, altercations between coaching staff and fans after the game, the club has turned septic. And I have real sympathy for Bray Wanderers fans because it seemed after the North Korea sort of mess that it had under O'Driscoll, it was going a good direction. Gary Cronin got them to the playoffs. And, you know, there was a good vibe around the Carlisle grounds. And I just find it sad, Dan. I find it sad that it's back to this now. And it's basically like Cabin Teeley Light and a club that's gone nowhere and could even be overtaken by Atlone and finish second last this season. Bray Wanderers. Like, Bray Wanderers and Drogheda would be comparable in that. Very close to Dublin and can get that batch of sort of Dublin players who wouldn't be sort of at the top teams and they could finish second last this season. Um, under a management team, I think that really needs to look hard at what's going on there. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more to add to it. I think it's pretty obvious things are bad and they probably do need a clean broom there, but it's 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 complicated. It's complicated. Um, it is complicated. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Lyons, will anyone catch up with the top three next season? Are we in for years with them as a top three? I'm not sure what the top three are. I think the Dalk and Pats are, are not much between them, but... I think as as a top four point, uh, there's something. I think we discussed that in a recent show, actually. So I'm I not feel go there next again. season that for the likes I was going to have a decent budget. I'd say still. But I think for for Sligo and Bowes and say Cork City, you'll have to slew of clubs that um, I think it's going to be very tough. Like I'm looking at the Pats are on the way up. Uh, Dundalk have the budget. Derry have a lot of money, and then you've Rovers. I think the the rest. Of, I'm not saying they won't be involved, but like there'll be a surprise candidate in the relegation battle next season. And I didn't mention Kerry FC. Did you see their their crest? new crest it looks like uh, for next season didn't see it no I, I believe they're making progress but I mean I just I love the tangents I just I absolutely love the tangents I, I'm looking at the, the mailbag here we've loads what of we got? references from comments uh, comments from various people a few references to the firework being shown and drawn to what will happen I, I, I if I didn't see the incident I've seen the social media stuff um I presume like there will be action on it as there as there should be. Fergal is Dan going to apologise to the people of Cork for offences against Turner's Cross? Well, I did make the mistake, Johnny, of expressing an opinion on Twitter that uh, I pointed out I, that, that uh, caught me out a lot actually the, when I was the, on Twitter. The uh, the uh, Shamrock Rovers fourth stand. I was very impressed, but I hadn't been there in a couple of weeks. Very impressed by the development of the fourth stand, and I made the. No offence to Cork or Longford, but we're going to have a full, fully developed, fully developed, crucial word, fully developed, uh, four-sided stand in the league. But of course, saying no offence to Cork is a bit much, I don't know what that's the equivalent of saying. It's like, uh, do you remember, you know, uh, do you remember Dublin Derby? I'm not, Dublin I'm not Derby racist, but, Fox was, yeah. was a genius on Twitter, but um, remember when they had um, that, 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 uh, problem with the stand in Turner's Cross, badly damaged. The fully developed stand, yeah. The, f the, What's the far side stand? The little is it the Derry Nan? It's Derry Nan. The one that's around eight rows, uh, the eight rows back. But small, obviously small it's, little. It's obviously to Remember it was badly com damaged. Comparable with the, the stand and Tala. <laughs> you say that with a sense of irony there. But uh, when that was like, I was badly, badly damaged during a storm a few years ago, Dublin Derby Fax was like, uh, John Colville has announced he's going to actually sign the uh, stand from uh, the showgrounds because they were signing <laughs> everyone. <laughs> well, from Sligo at that time. I uh, and my tangent on the Kerry Football Club, sorry. 
I mean, okay, the, go, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. Go ahead, go ahead. On this particular topic, like, go ahead. Uh, you, but you're just having a pop here. It's you, like you, you, kinda, just, you haven't been, you have not paid, you haven't even been listening because you're clearly looking up something no. on on because yeah, all you want to do is talk about like we're going to do niche first division topics for Johnny Ward. We're going to have that special podcast, and if you want to tune in, okay. It, you see, you just because you don't care, I, I mean, I, I care. Three of the biggest I clubs care. in the I country I, I are notice, among those nine. I know this, and they're all trying to get out of it. So trying the, to be the operative word. The the point is, I'm. Turner's Cross is my favourite ground to visit in the league. Is it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I think when it's full, it's terrific. Yes, it does have four si- seats on four sides. I accept the point. But fully developed to me is like a stadium that's at the max of its potential. And unfortunately, you look at Turner's Cross, you're thinking, it's a real shame about that side of the ground. I, don't, I understand there's houses behind it. I understand they can't do much more with the Munster FA but really, okay. What else in the Maybach? I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm explaining. Okay. I'm just explaining my point in this, really, and just, just. You will be back home. there with the Dublin media next to, season. To the, to the point, and I mean, I said I love Turner's Cross. Will you be in Montauk Park? I love Turner's Cross. Montauk, isn't that what it is? Montauk, Montauk. Mont- is Montauk in New York where people go in Mount J1? Talk Park. Montauk. I've actually never said that before, Mount but I, I have to good. make this point, Dan. Okay. The Kerry Football Club, Chris is the closest thing we'll ever get to the RUC being in the league. It's such a similar insignia with the crown over the harp. It's I, I'm I'm I, it's an intriguing development. It's basically a crown, the kingdom, over the harp, which is basically the old RIC, RUC insignia. And um, I, I'm just surprised that nobody has made that reference yet, or I haven't seen it. So, Evan Kilban, is there anyone currently in the league good enough Evan to... Evan Kilban? Repla- yeah, is there anyone in the league cur- good enough to replace Manus if he was to retire? Um, no, it's here's the thing. Like you know, Ed McGinty would have been the natural one. He's now not playing with Oxford. Um, Harrington, he's going to go. He's going to go. Uh, Talbot, you know, um, couldn't see us. He's under contract. Can't see him leaving. I think um, Conor Kearns is a very good keeper. Just saying, he divides opinions too, doesn't he? Mm. Divides opinions as well. And like Brian Myers, obviously going to be staying at Derry. Um, Nathan Shepherd is a good keeper. Um, uh, he's under contract though. Um, I'm I'm not. No one sp- springs to mind to me as an obvious candidate, but that's obviously their issue. What is, what is Derry Ada? What does Derry have a plastic pitch? Donor is a billionaire. It's a council facility again. And at the time they did it, they wanted to use it for a lot of various functions. I mean, Institute would have you know played there, and and mm. that would be the reason. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely more that can be done with the Brandywell. You would definitely you would definitely say that. But again, it's a council of ground. I mean, so was. So was uh, so was Tala, but I think it's easier to get stuff done in Tala than it is if you're in Derry in the Northern Irish context. Thomas Tormey, how different would the bottom end of the Premier Division look if Donegal man Keith Cowan was playing for Harps? Um, I don't know. I mean, has, has defensive sturdiness been the issue with Harps? I think it's just an overall lack of quality in their squad in a variety of positions. Um, is Duffer Ireland's grumpiest millionaire? It's probably grumpy. Pat McDonough isn't great now, in fairness. Could be grumpy. Got a mighty call in the Supermax. On the way home from Mallow, that was, oh God, it was with gritted teeth that I had a Supermax burger. Anyway. Well, I mean, if you had gritted teeth, you probably didn't get it into your it, mouth. It, metaphorically. Yeah. Uh, I predicted Keith Long will be back. That wouldn't have been ba- a bad thing. <laughs> I, I predicted, uh, <laughs> come and sponsor us. Uh, I predicted Keith Long will be back at Bowes with Chris 2024. What say you two? Well, I'm not, I'm not so sure, although ironically enough, if they, if they did create a new sporting director role, he probably mightn't be the worst person. Longer so. is absolutely made for the Bray job. Um, Gave Longer the Bray job. He's from that, your, from from that part of the world. No, Devo has to just, I think, say enough is enough. Now I've had my time here, just, in have, my view. Just have it out over Christmas dinner. Like, you know, it's, it's slightly complicated. I, I'd say it'd be well worth filming. Mm. The father-in-law. You know, meet, meet the fuckers type thing or whatever. Longer and Devo. Yeah. Like kind of, Pulling the 
was it the Christmas? Uh, the, 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 the cracker. The cracker. <laughs> Tell you one thing that hasn't been a cracker. This show. So Listen, far. let's just get let's just get some other people in. <laughs> yeah, we have actually found some guests. We have Mark Roster and Colin Hawkins. Um, before you came in, you actually just as I say that you're looking at your knee. You played 36 minutes lately, and you were in bits after it. Yeah. How are you keeping? Um, apart from that, yeah, I'm, I'm all good, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, look at its part and parcel of it. Um, six ops on that knee, and it's, it's, it's not great. It's not great, really, to be fair, but... Do, do you have... Um, do you wake up with regrets some mornings about what might have been if you had a straightforward run? We've Paul Curry on reasonably regularly, and you get these ridiculously bad injuries early in your career. In fairness, you you had a, a longer career than he did. Does it piss you off at times? No, no. Um, things could be worse. It could be worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I enjoyed every minute. Let's say of playing. Mentally, it it can be tough, um, but. No, it, it, look, it's part and parcel of the game. It's what you sign up for, and, you know, it, it can be just unfortunate, really, you know. If you if you look at the pinnacle of football and you look at Brazilian Ronaldo, what he could have been if he didn't get his, mm. his injury, because I suppose he was the one who took football to a different level, and then the likes of Messi and Ronaldo that have come after him, they're, they're probably fortunate that they didn't get any probably serious injuries. And, uh yeah, yeah, it's just part and parcel. Like Paul, you know, well documented the the injuries that he had, and very unfortunate because he was he was a lovely footballer. We um, we mentioned Rory Gaffney earlier in the show, and um, Patrick Huben, another player. And um, but I think the man who almost started off the really good Galway players not to play for Galway United was Colin Hawkins. Um, just story of our club, really. Uh, how are you keeping? Brilliant, Johnny. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it was always a big regret of mine that I never played for Galway. Obviously, played with the. The 14s and 16s. What age uh, are you now? The ages. I am 44. Yeah, JC will be in touch with you if the playoffs are starting there in two <laughs> weeks, the way things are going. Um, yeah, you never played for Galway United. Why was that? There was a couple of opportunities. I did meet uh, when Jeff Kennan was down there. I met Jeff and it was actually the time the opportunity came back to, to, to go back to the UK. So it was a really good offer and, and something I was really interested in at the time. But again, the chance to go back to the UK, I think it was back to Coventry at the time, was just, it was too good to turn around. So uh, I suppose it was just about timing, Johnny. You know, I got obviously left Galway when I was 18. And then when you came back, I went straight back to Pat. So it's just just the timing and the opportunity, you know. But, you know, I'm watching them closely at the moment. It's really disappointed the way it's, it's petering out. So I'm just ho- hoping they can pull themselves together for the playoffs, you know, because, it, you know, it, as, as Rossi and everyone will tell you, it's, it's a city that needs Premier Division football and needs to kick on. So hopefully they do it this year but it's going to be very tough I think Just on the nostalgia team Colin did you have the the Malaysian Marvels reunion there the, the Armenia game am I right the, 20, the 25 year anniversary of uh, yeah. of that run which is uh, hard to get your head on I actually have a photograph at home of uh, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before it's a uh, it's I, I entered some young journalist competition in like third or something, you know, Got a job 97, 90. so I have a photo of me getting presented with a Snickers bag by <laughs> Brian Kerr, Colin Hawkins, Thomas Morgan and Trevor Malloy, that you were obviously on the promotional tour after you, you come back from Malaysia and you were asked to go to some gig, by, uh, some Snickers gig one day and like present 
uh, prizes to like some journalist. Samantha Libreri, who's an RTE, who's Shamrock Rovers fan, she was in that competition as well. It's funny you did well. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Colin. 25 years, Colin. I don't know. Do you, like, Billy, Billy Boy was on the bus in front of me on going to the game on, on Friday and he, he got up to offer his seat to like an elderly woman who came on. I was like, geez, one day it'll be you, you know. And I remember you, you were a kid, like you were 20 years of age at that loan with Terry Everson. And Jesus, I actually did start to feel old. Yeah, it, listen, it was a brilliant get together. We did it uh, the twenty year thing. Brian, that was all led by Brian Kerry. You know, he went and demanded that we all came together. He flew in all the lads from the UK, and we had a brilliant event. Alan Kirby was involved in organising as well. So we got together twenty years, and then I think the thing that ranked up with Brian was that we ever never actually got our our cap. I got them all for again fifteen, sixteen schools, twenty ones cap to have them all. We'd never been given the big one that we wanted was the under-21. For whatever reason, politics, listen, whatever, we didn't get it. So Brian kept pushing and pushing, and it was great for us for 25 years. So we all got together, and we went out in town on the Monday night. And in fairness, the FAI, uh, Jerry McEnany, Packy Bonner, they all came in on the Monday night, enjoyed it, joined us for a couple of drinks. And then on the on the Tuesday, we met up at 3 o'clock. Uh, Brian let the hair down and had a great day with us, and we, we got the box at the match, and... I think everybody bar two players uh, managed to attend, which was unbelievable, really. Wow. So it's always good to get together and see what everybody's doing. Robbie Ryan working in, in, in London on the underground and just, just really good to see how everyone's uh, paths have gone and uh, just remembering back on, on, on that, that achievement. And we always say, lads, we're really milking it now. We're taking the piss with these celebrations 25 years later. But as Thomas Morgan said, until a team comes and uh, beats us, uh, we, we'll keep milking as long as we can. Well, I suppose when you think about that team, I mean, Duffer, we spoke about Duffer before you come on, but he was the, he was the, I suppose he was the star turn of, of, of that group. And I don't know, was it the, was that the time where, where Kerr gave the team talk and he just said, you know, he gave everyone their advice and he said, Duffer, you go out and do your thing. But I'm kind of wondering as a, as someone who remembers Duffer from that time, what you now make of Duffer, the manager. Uh, little kind of, old Duffer. Little old Duffer, little old shells. Yeah, listen, he was he was he was the youngest player obviously in our group. He was only seventeen and straight away when he came into the camp you knew of his talent. I think he just signed for Blackburn, so everyone knew how good he was. But Brian, uh, you know, he threw him in and the goals he scored out there, I think it goes down as history as the first ever golden goal when we beat Morocco and what a goal if you can YouTube them goals. I know there's plenty of documentaries on it. But yeah, he was obviously the star of the tournament and it is really interesting to follow his career and then like, I am just loving his passion when, when I see him being interviewed the other day after the Shells game and he's talking about the highlight of his career. And I firmly believe that he means that. You know, he's just loving that role with Shelburne. Um, I went to watch their 17, Shelburne 17 on, on Saturday. They won their first elite National League title. So there's serious things going on at Shelburne and that's why at St. Moctis we're delighted we've done a bit of a link up with them just to give any of our young players an opportunity maybe to go that way. But when you see uh, Damien talking the way he does and, you know, Maybe he winds people up the wrong way, but he, he has serious passion for it. He's putting every hour he can into it, and they're definitely a club on the up. And you know, I wish them all the best in the final. St. Moctis were strongly represented at the live show, Dan, of course. Oh, we did, we did have some Moctis That's where the Alfie Moon reference came from. Yeah, they weren't quiet. <laughs> no. um, but uh, yeah, I suppose, like, just to clarify, like, Colin is obviously with, with Moctis, like, you're, you're heading up to sort of the academy there, Colin. Like, what's the. Like, how did Shells appeal as a as a fit to you? You know, how did they? How did it all actually come about? Because we, we've seen these sort of partnerships with schoolboy clubs. Some of them have sort of started well and they've died off. You know, we, we've seen like a bit of realignment in various places. Um, what 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 was it about Shells that made this one work for you? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I suppose we're on the right side of the city, first of all. I would have a lot of links with the club and with fellas like Colin Barron, who is their, their head of uh, head of the academy. We've done a lot of stuff with him in the past, so I know I know the project he's working on there. Um, and we had o- other opportunities to link up with other clubs. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not going to produce 10 superstars every year, but there is definitely a couple of good players that we're bringing through from age 4 till 10, 11, 12. And we just want to have a club that you know, we, we can push them in that direction. Obviously, the parent can turn around and send them wherever he wants. But I think that what was kind of rankling or annoying me a little bit was we were putting a lot of work into the kids and then they were going to some of the, you know, not some of the League of Ireland clubs across the city. They were going across the city to train two, three nights a week and then they were ended up going to a League of Ireland club then eventually. So we were saying if we do things properly by our coaches and we do our workshops and we're coaching these kids properly, why would you bother leaving until it's 12 or 13? So that's the idea that we work closely with Shells. We do a lot of workshops with them so our coaches get better. And then if we're doing things right by them, come 12, 13, 14, then we'd like to see them go into the Shells National League teams. And as I said, that was their first elite title there last week. And it'll be the first of many because uh, they have a huge project. Um, people might know a lot about, obviously, everyone talks about Rovers. But I think Shells are, are very, very much um, coming behind them strongly. The, how does... Um that benefit then the likes of Moctis how does that work in terms of what's the end goal for Moctis is this like money down the line to keep, kind of keep the show on the road effectively or, or is this more of a I guess an altruistic thing in, in coaching young players what's the motivation for the, the likes of the Kevins who would have been the, the you know the big kind of nursery club that then had to do their link ups um, as it was at the time of Bowes yeah, I suppose there's loads there's loads of benefits to it. one of the ones you might even think about was say the Shells 19s for example and I would have been involved with Rovers 19s at the time. And a lot of them players end up not playing football two or three three years later because they're not ready for the first team there. A lot of them stop playing, which is ridiculous. They don't have that under 23 league or A league, which should be there, in my opinion. So there could be benefit there that some of them 19s players could come and play at a really high standard with our first division. Leinster Senior League is really, really strong if you ever get to watch a game. It's really good level. So there's that opportunity. But more, it's more so for the young lads. But also I'm using the experience of the Shells coaches and what they're doing to try and drive good habits within St. Moctis. So our lads, you know, they put on good sessions every night. And then if we do have a, have a strong player, that they have, the, have that opportunity to go to Shell's National League, that they don't have to go around to other schoolboy teams waiting to get that opportunity that they have it with us. So they're probably the main two, that there's a, the senior end of it we can influence and also any strong kid that they're getting the best of ever than with us. And that's it. There's no money involved. You know, if, if a kid goes to Shell's and later on at 20, he goes across to the UK, uh, good luck to them, you know, it's it's definitely not a financial thing for us. What do you make of it? Like, if you look at, um, I, I think Rovers are probably not, they're probably a little bit um, suffering from the fact that their second team isn't in the league now. I think that was a, a good thing for Rovers. What, what do you think, Rossi, in terms of um, that second or the third tier that they're talking about where you might have these, um, I guess it would be the closest thing we'll have to that under 23 or, or that A-League that Colin is on, on about, because it is, it's a concern when players are just kind of in no man's land if they're not making it. Yeah, like, you, you know, you want to keep it as competitive as possible. Um, so if they're playing in an actual competitive league, it's it's brilliant. You know, you look at the development teams over in, in the UK, on you know, the under-23s, and sometimes they can be a little bit going through the motions. Tippy-tappy. You know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's you know, they don't tackle each other. They don't, you know, it's it's not as competitive as I'd like. So that's why I like the, the influx of players that are coming on loan from the UK over... Because they're playing in a in a tough league here, mm. you know. So I I think it'd be hugely beneficial, especially for Shams. Let's say if they had their second team, because they had such a wave of players that they they would have had that they 
you know, could have played in a competitive league because the first division in, in this league is is tough. You know, it is very, very tough when you have, let's say, John Caulfield's team, the way to Waterford's resurgence, let's say, over the last couple of months, it's it's a tough, tough league. And, you know, as a player, you know, some mightn't be the best trainers in the world and they just come alive on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. So the more competitive the league, the better for the players. Did you and Colin ever play together? Never. I think, no, you've always been on opposite sides. Yeah, more so. I think I think Colin was probably the first centre-back that I would have watched um, when I came back from England and was hugely impressed because, you know, he's obviously a monster of a man. But when he, you know, centre-backs in them days, when they were lumped up, they just headered away anywhere. Hawks had always looked to header it down let's say, like my brother was playing for Harps at the time and when the ball would be coming up, he could be jumping with Kevin McHugh, who obviously was a lot smaller than him, but he always looked to header down to a midfielder's feet, let's say, or he was heading out to fullbacks and stuff like that. So he was always jumping with a thought process as to where he was going with the ball. But no, he was he was remarkable. I was, I was as I was going into the ground on Friday, Colin, I was just thinking, I think I put in my report that I don't think there's been the same buzz around Pats in a long time since the days of Pat Dolan, basically, and the days of when he brought those some of the marvels with him. And I I was only getting into League of Ireland at the time, but it was part of the reason I got into it was because of his passion and the way he spoke about the potential for the game. And you do wonder, like, what was it like to be involved? What was it like to be involved in those days? Yeah, and I say regularly, it was the best times of my career, definitely them three years I had at St. Pat's and Friday Night Football in Inchicore. It was just unbelievable, the atmosphere down there. And I haven't been up there in a while, but again, you'd like to think it's getting back to that. Um, but we had, that year we had the run-in with, with Cork. We were neck and neck all year. We were getting full six, seven, eight thousand and really good football being played. You know, time, so again, it was Damien Richardson at Cork, was it? That's right, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, and then we had another year where it was, it was neck and neck with Shelburne, obviously. So, with uh, that's when Dave Nurse was the Shelburne. I'm not sure who's over Cork. I think it might have been Dave Barry. Can't remember. Mm. But what, again, what were they, Pat they Dolan's were kind of um, motivational techniques like when you get to a title race? You know, and it's like this is crunch time. Oh, Pat did crazy things. You know, he was he was he was a one off. Um, we were we there's a select group of us were doing our we were full time. There's only maybe eight of us were full time. Ian Gilzine, etc., was over. We were living in a place in Lucan. We train, you might do two or three hours during the day with Noel O'Reilly or with Cyril Walsh or with Pat Dolan. And then you go home and rest up and you still come in in the evening and still do a full session with the part time Eddie's and Paula Zams and Martin Russell. We, we, we're just a fantastic group. And I always say, if you look at the amount of players from that group that ended up having um, coaching careers again, Paula Zam, Trevor Crowley, Keith Long. There was a serious amount of players that um, you know went on students of the game, if you like. So it was a unique group that we had, and really good times for a young player to go into that environment. I learned so much off them lads, and probably got a real appetite then for coaching as well. That's probably happened with most of the guys, you know. And that probably was led by being around people like Pat Dolan and, and Noel O'Reilly, like what an assistant that was Noel there. And then, in fairness, Liam Buckley took over, and it was the first time we really played super football he played three at the back which hadn't been seen in the league before I think we won it that year with the record amount of points and we did try and get it down and play something that's only really come into the game in the last couple of years here so. on that con that's actually a point I've made I'll take you up on that Rossi because Liam Buckley um, you know he's gone from Sligo Rovers now and you wonder is he going to come back he, he for me was the first manager who really had had like Pats played the ball on the ground I think he was with, with all due respect to managers who went before him I think this was a real philosophy and it almost started this trend in the League of Ireland that's gone back a while now yeah, but any any of Bucko's teams, when you look at them throughout the years, like since 
I came back in 2007 when, you know, he would have been around Fingal and stuff like that. Um, the brand of football was always, always nice and beautiful to watch. And, you know, he, he identifies players that will perform within his system. Um, not, you know, he doesn't. He never looked for players that mightn't be the best player in the league, let's say, but um, they mightn't suit his system or his philosophy, especially when, you know, when he was at Fingal and he played a, the 4-3-3. He was identifying a, a link player up top that I suppose could bring the, the rest of the team into play. And when he had midfielders like McFall and Shawnee Williams and stuff like that, they, they were unbelievable to watch. So lads, you've both been involved in, in title races, um, you're on the right side of them, um, you know, you've, you've experienced sort of a range of emotions around, around them, and I'm just kind of wondering what you think, I mean, you, Rossi, maybe, like, you're obviously contractually or, or geographically obliged to refer to them as shams, and, uh, and how they're feeling <laughs> about uh, things at the moment, that all of a sudden, uh, maybe there was a sense that the league was done, um, and now that you've got this Derry team coming after you, and you have a situation where it could come down to this game in two weeks' time. We'll see where it's at. Um, and we were talking a little bit off air. It's not completely comparable. It's not a strict comparison. But say you're a Bowes team in 2009. You'd won the league easily in 2008 by a mile. You hadn't been in a title race. And all of a sudden in 2009, you have this Shamrock Rovers side coming after you that went on a mad unbeaten run. And almost out of nowhere, I think Bowes even went behind at one stage in that, in that run-in and you eventually got over the line. But what do you think the, the mood will be in that dressing room now? Because they were everyone's favourites, expected to win. And now there's just that little bit of doubt creeping in and their form just isn't, it's not convincing. No, it's not. Um, you know, look, when you look at a paper and look at the run-in, you still think that they're, they're going to get across the line. Um, I think Derry... You know, they've done wonderfully well. They've had to beat the teams that they've had to beat, let's say, to get back into it. But they've just kind of gone on the ra- under the radar a little bit. Um, and now they're, they're three, what is it, six points with a game yeah, in hand. Game hand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, at they've done really, really well. And Michael Duffy has come back and hit form hugely. He's been like in, like effectively a new signing for them. He's been unbelievable. And Connolly coming from Dundalk, let's say, up, he's he shored up the defence a little bit. And, you know, they're just, they're taking all the right boxes at the, you know, the got huge momentum at the at the minute they've obviously got into the cup final um so they're they're hitting their stride at the right time um i still still think that shamrock rovers will do enough to to get across the line but it's a lot closer than everybody would have thought yeah like colin what's the dressing room like in on the run and i'm trying to think like oh six was it the shells Derry one that went all the way obviously with a lot going on there but you were involved in sort of other other title scraps at various times i mean what's the I don't know, what, what's it like when you have another team that's suddenly coming after you, you know, and you're very conscious of their results and their results are good and it probably builds a little bit of pressure around your games or like what's your experience of these type of races? Yeah, I, th- I think um, you need to definitely go after your more experienced players, fellas who've been through before and not saying younger lads will bottle it or anything like that on the night, but you know, there is there is that bit of experience and I think that's why Rovers, I'll be fairly confident Rovers will get over the line with the players they have in the ranks and they've done it before. For the good of the league, though, I would love to see Derry winning it because I know there's big investment going on up there. But you want as many teams challenges as possible to keep the league interesting. You want the Sligos coming back. You want Stevie to push on with Dundalk again next year. You want Pats pushing on. So that that's what the league needs. You don't want Rovers running away with it. I, you know, because I know what they're doing at the bottom end up. 
You know, they've got serious talent coming through all the way through. I know they have the investment with the first team. So you'd be just fearful, you know, they, they monopolize the whole thing and keep pushing on because they get all this European money every year. So that's why it'd be really good as a neutral if they're really going to win it. But it's just keeping your bottle, the old cliche, game by game, take it, take each next game as it comes. And obviously, it mightn't even come down to that game against each other if Rovers do their business, you know, before that. And I would firmly think they will do that, to be honest. Mm. Like, what do you make of them as a side to watch, you know, in terms of, I know, sitting down to watch this Rovers team? How would you compare them to previous teams of the past? For me, when I've, when I've watched them, I think, you know, they've got some fabulous players. I think it's a very difficult job that Stephen has. He's trying to integrate. He's got a lot of talented young players. And then he's got a lot of big names. I'm sure it's difficult keeping them happy. He, he's done well to keep that out of the, the focus. But I'm sure your Graham Burks and Richie Tells, they all want to start. They don't want to be sitting on the bench with the European game. If you're a good player like Ronaldo Sulkin at the moment, you want to play every single game. So I'd say that's his, probably his most difficult task is, is keeping them all happy and managing the game time for everybody. Um, but they, listen, they do play really good football. They, they've, got, they've, they've got a good, good, solid defence. You know, they've got serious campaigners like Ronan Finn and Sean Gannon. So they've got experience right throughout the team. Uh, Ronan or, or uh, Gaffney has had an unbelievable season. But um, the the one thing they're probably still missing that Twiggy. You know, he's obviously a Glenn Crow, a Jason Byrne. Where me and Mark would have, there was always one of them in the league. They probably haven't had that for a long time. It's like a bit like Man City. They're revitalised. They bring in Haaland. So whether they need to go out and, and get that top striker, you know, it could be the difference between them pushing on and being a, a very good side as they are. Yeah, what's you make of them, Mark? I, I love watching them. I think their the brand of football is beautiful to watch. Lovely. I suppose, look, we'll, we'll say that they're an ageing team, but some of the young players that they have, you know, I love watching Dylan Watts play and Gary O'Neill. I think they're fabulous footballers and they're only going to learn every day playing with players like Jack Byrne and stuff. So um, I, th- I think they're brilliant to watch. I really, really do. I think, Dan, they've really missed Danny Mandroyo. Really do. I think that kind of extra level well, that he had. Well, it was funny. I was looking at the top scorer charts the other day just to see where we're at. And like Mandrew... I think he's still in the top 10 or just outside the top 10 with seven goals. And it sort of speaks to uh, Colin's point. I mean, Aidan Keane is on course to be top scorer with like 15 goals, I think, at the moment. Seven of them against Finn Harps, I think, or something like that. And listen, they still have to be scored. I mean, he was brilliant in Europe, so I'm not like, not taking it away from him. But there's a real sort of lack of, uh, you you would have thought that someone in that Rover side could have hit big numbers. Like Gaffney could be player of the year yet he's still a relatively low-scoring striker, you know? And I don't know, it feels like in the league at the moment we have a lot of teams with very good creative, like, number 10s and, and players who are comfortable in that zone on the pitch and maybe not the the number the number nines. And I think in Europe that's probably been apparent. I would have thought. I don't know what you think. Like, I mean, they haven't scored in the group games. You it's know, been underwhelming. Like, yeah. it has been underwhelming. They haven't scored. They're the only team that haven't scored a goal in the in the Europa Conference League group stages so far. I think not for the one to try on Thursday. To be fair, um, yeah. Like uh, when when I'd look at when I'd look at Rovers, they don't have a selfish player. Do you know, like strikers that score twenty goals a season tend to work between the box, and that's kind of it. Um, or they'll have a poacher like Twig who mightn't be in the game you know, wouldn't touch the ball that much within a game, doesn't be involved in link-up play, but will score 25 goals a season. And, you know, that's priceless. And that's why, I suppose, them players command the money that they do, um, like, at any level. Because if you have a striker that that scores that many goals, you're not going to be far off, I suppose, league position. You're not going to be too far off, you know, let's say top three. I'm not going to say win the league. But Mm. if you have the likes of Jason Byrne, you know, that type of striker that... 
you know, it just always seems to be in the right place at the right time. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, I was just thinking, Colin, I mean, when you were, like, when you were playing in Europe, and I think of that Shells team you mentioned, um, and, and some of the both sides have played in, like, you've been some very strong teams. Like, when, when Europe, you were knocked out, that was it. There was, like, there was no backdoor route, really. There was no second chance. And like, is there ever a lingering sense of, God, I'd, I'd love if we'd, we'd got the opportunities that these players get now, like this backdoor route, to see how you would have done if you got sort of the chance to play sort of 10, 12 games in a year? Because quite often it was two or four and, and, and that was it. Yeah, 100%. Like, I remember the game so well. Stoy Bucharest with, with Bose, Rosenberg, we seemed to get drawn against them with every club I went to. We, we played them a lot, which was a brilliant experience. But uh, I think the best one was Bada Borisov. Uh, they obviously went on to great things, but I think we beat them 3-0 one night in Daily Man with Bose. One of the best team performances I remember. I think Bobby Ryan scored, maybe Robbie Doyle that night. But that that was one of them ones. You, like, you remember them really well. So any of them, obviously the Celtic one with Pats was a huge one. But you remember them back, but you're right. At the time, you were, you lost and you are out, you know. Um, whereas now the back door it's just such an opportunity for the clubs to make money and that's maybe where Rovers are caught a little bit I've heard a few interviews where you know they're caught obviously there's a lot of money to be made then you have to win your league so you're prioritising resting players where really should be giving it a right go how many points can we get out of this group stage to kick on again you know so it's, it's a tricky one you, may, you mentioned that that game in Parkhead um, Pat Morley texted me the other day and I completely forgot about this and Pat would be apt to recall the good days of his career but he scored against Rangers when they went 3-0 up and he reminded me that he blessed himself in front of the Rangers fans and sent me a clip for that I was like in the context in the parlance of our times maybe you shouldn't do that but that was a magical like what are we talking half an hour yous were nil all in Parkhead and they were 3-0 up against Rangers remember mm, well done what a time so was the other comments we had this week you had Matty Taylor the Rotherham <laughs> manager um, who was speaking about Georgie Kelly um, and effectively what he was saying was in the context of where he's come from, no disrespect to Irish football, but probably the equivalent of non-league on the uh, in the English pyramid. And he went on from there to sort of praise Georgie Kelly's rawness. Now, as as these things do, it sort of generated a bit of Twitter outrage, you know, Twitter debate. Um, and it's a strange one because I think of Colin's on here. I remember Colin when you joined Doncaster, who were sort of a non-league club at the time. There was probably people here who would have been probably fuming about that you know like you've got the best player in our league as you were at the time going there and, and it's a funny one this debate because first of all I think it's a bit of a daft debate because I think like the problem with the League of Ireland is you'd have a premier you have a full-time professional club that could have a great setup at one end of it and you'll have a team of students at the other so you don't have anything like that in England but in a way you sort of do people even understand the size and scale of the English pyramid too Do some of those clubs that are in non-league are are huge. I mean, can you remember the Ferrari, or not the Ferrari, but you remember at the time the, the response to you joining a non-league club, albeit a very big one? I definitely do know. I went there, obviously, for my reasons. I knew what Doncaster were about to do, and they did kick on to the championship very quickly, so I knew they were a club on the up. So, But you're right, it did cause a bit of, because there was talk of Middlesbrough, and there was there was a few other clubs mentioned around myself at the time, which didn't happen. So it was a strange one when, when I went there. But that question, that debate happens all the time. What what level are we at? Um, and people get carried away saying we'd be, uh, you know, put the Rovers into championship, they'd be a, a, a top side. I, I've i always pitched it around the League One kind of, and that's just my opinion. Everyone is different, but I think that's the kind of level. If you put a Rovers or a Pats in the dock, I would love to see them over a full season in League One and see, can they get promoted out of that league? 
that kind of level. That's where I think we're at because if you look at the, you can mention any top players that have left here and gone over there and how many of them have done really well in the championship or how many of them have had to filter down um, to, to League One and League Two, you know. So it's 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 a really high standard over there, you know, and that's that's where we're trying to get to. And again, I'm parked up here in Inchicore. If I go into Pats there and look at the ground, has anything changed in the 25 years since I played there? Not really. So there are all the bits, the facilities and all the stuff that we're all crying out for to improve and that needs it needs to happen to kick on. And in fairness to your shells and rovers and their academies they're trying to set up, they're trying to do it properly from the bottom up. It's the only way to do it. And that's how we can then push the levels on. So we're talking about being championship level clubs rather than league one. That's just my opinion. Yeah, like I think that I think that, I mean I think the thing is, yeah, the like championship is another level completely. You know, like championship is like way, way up the gears, but um, I think that's the problem. Like you, you, you could say some of our clubs maybe in League One or whatever, but then you have other clubs in the Premier Division that wouldn't have a hope at that level. You know, <laughs> they wouldn't have a hope. So it's it's we don't have a standard here. And also, what's changed in recent years is that the style of play here is a bit different. Like you'll have some players who'd be really suited to play in here and wouldn't be suited to League Two at all you know, it, so you know the styles of play. So it's almost like I don't know what you think, Mark. Like I, I don't. It's, I mean, it's, it's maybe it's a great pub debate or something, but there's actually no right or wrong answer because, I mean, our setup here is just a little bit... No, it's, 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 it's the other thing, Greg, we, we should never compare with England because just because it's next door, England is a complete, it's, it's an outlier in terms of everything. Like. It's a different animal. Um, you know, like when, when you look at it, it's just, it just shows the gulf within our league, as, as you said, you know, from the outside looking in and the way that they look at it from the UK, the, you know, some people have thrown out saying it's a pub league and yada, yada, yada. But like there is quality players here, there is quality teams, but from the outside looking in, it's not a professional league because every team isn't a professional team. So the, yeah. the, the loose comment will say it's like a non-league team. Um, I listened to the interview. He wasn't being derogatory towards the league or anything like that. But, you know, out of context, people will just take what they want and say that he just more or less said. I think it's more, it's like, I mean, and Georgie Kelly, to be fair, like he was part-time with Bowes last year, you know, but I think you sometimes, what, what, what was that guy, Stephen Warnock, uh, the ex-Blackburn player, didn't he at one point say Red Star Belgrade? He, he believes some sort of a internet viral thing that the Red Star Belgrade striker was a plumber or something, you know, and like this is a club in Serbia. Like, you know, there's an English they, they, exceptionalism they that does exist that they think, but it's more so, I think what annoyed people, I, I've been in touch with people around the league, like, you know, George Kelly obviously was at Dundalk and, and you know, when they were pretty good and there's probably, pe people would imagine like, you know, like they think that George Kelly was on the building site or something and playing football, sort of coming off in his, you know, and they, they, that's the image of Ireland. I think it's that language that roils people rather than the actual football analysis of what Taylor said, which I think you can definitely see where he's coming from with aspects of it. Before you, know? you go, Colin, um, you're slightly from the outside looking in, slightly from the inside looking in. Um, what would you change? Where are we going with the league? How does it compare to the, that 25 years ago when, I guess, um, you know, Pat Dolan tried to... Uh, realise this revolution in Irish football that I guess the revolution hasn't quite happened yet but I, are, are we on the way? Yeah I think we are and again it comes down to like I'd like to think fellas like myself are playing, playing a bit of a part in it in terms of schoolboy football and, and trying to increase contact hours and trying to change the mentality of parents that listen if I'm asking your kids to come down and train with their under nine three nights a week that's what they should be doing. It's only three hours football in the week. Like, and we're still miles off what they'd be doing in any other Belgium or Norway or anywhere like that. So it's just changed the mentality from the bottom up in all the schoolboy teams. And I really like what's happening in the academies. I like the, 
National League, it's had a lot of uh, knockers in terms of, but the best players need to be playing against the best and the younger, the better. Like I'll give you an example, our under-12s uh, premier side on the Saturday, which would be the top level in the country. We, we'd be in the top level and they're a good side. They go over the Rovers last, last Saturday to play a league game and they absolutely wipe the floor with us. You know, there's that level again where they're streaking ahead of everybody else. Maybe even it needs to filter down to under-12s where the top teams are in little groups together to keep pushing them on. Um, and the rest of us are trying to produce players to get into that level, you know, if that makes sense. So um, there's still loads of work to be done, definitely. But the, all the academy work that the clubs are doing, like, can they keep pumping their European money into the grassroots and building it from the bottom up? It's the only way for me to be done. Do you have any managerial ambitions yourself? Myself, no. Everyone asked me, would you get back in the League of Ireland? I enjoy what I'm doing. It's a very busy role with 32 schoolboy teams. Lots going on up at St. Moctas. I'm happy doing that at the moment. Um, I like watching games. I'll go to the cup final. I'll enjoy it, but not really. I just that whole merry-go-round of managers changing. And luckily, I have a, I have a, a permanent job here, which I really enjoy. So I wouldn't want to put that at risk for jumping in. It's something that you could be gone very quickly. Anything else for the great man? I oh, know. I'd like the the first. I suppose the first meeting I would ever had with Colin. I played with his brother at Galway United, Johnny. Mm. Um, for mm. was that yeah under geez, no it was under fifteen, so it would have been with Newcastle West, yeah. Mm. Um, with Johnny Hawkins, yeah, yeah. That, that was it. I went to Galway United under sixteens, but it was Newcastle West yeah, mm. at the time. Yeah. Thanks for meeting, Colin. <laughs> no problem, lads. Thanks, Colin. See you later, Colin. Yeah, thanks very much uh, to Colin Hawkins, and uh, we will keep Rossi for the rest of the show. But now we're joined, known to a certain vintage of us as Mr. A, but it is Aidan McNeilis, who's a Finn Harps, dot, 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 but essentially director, Dan. Director of Finn Harps. Aidan's role in Finn Harps epitomizes that's exactly what you're talking about with Irish football. At the one level, you have Rovers, but then you have a club that you know, is so reliant on volunteers. And Aiden is one of them without without which Finn Harps could not prosper. How are you, Miss Ray? I'm not too bad. I, <laughs> that whole uh, that whole Mister Ray thing, the origination of that was to keep us anonymous, and uh, really hasn't worked in any way, shape, or form. Didn't go very well. There's, there's, there are, there are no secrets with Johnny Ward. But what 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 <laughs> but, 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 but what isn't a secret, Aiden, is that Finn Harps oh, are trying like to are trying to get your stadium <laughs> built. Which obviously, I mean, that's probably going on as long as the internet itself. Um, did this mission, but you are in the process of. I mean, we wanted to get someone from Harps on to talk about where things were generally with the stadium, but you do have this draw ongoing, which in simple terms, and you can explain it to me, but you're, you're looking to get the funds going to get the shovels back in there to, to, to sort of reignite the project. And I know you've gone through certain stages of you know seeking funding and you've got certain green lights, but this draw you're running is pretty important. So tell us about it and what's the, what's the mission? Yeah, absolutely. So the proceeds, the, the profits from this draw, they go towards the, the new stadium project. Um, there's a fantastic prize, €20,000. Um, I don't know anybody who couldn't be doing with that, right? And uh, it's €20 Euro to enter or three entries for €50. Euro. And as I mentioned, the profits do go towards um, the, the new ground project. Um, I think if, any, if you're involved in Irish football in any way at all, you know that our facilities at Finn Park are, you know, they're they're less than stellar. I mean, that was epitomized during the pandemic when we had to do a fundraising drive, you know, just to get some new dressing rooms um, so we could continue playing at the ground once once football restarted, right? Because we literally didn't have a, you know, where other clubs had, you know, their bars or their function rooms or somewhere where they could, you know, use that extra space for people to be able to change. Like we we didn't have it, right? We had to we had to do a pretty 
a pretty big fundraising drive and people responded to that and you know we we, we did things we, we begged begged borrow and stole and we, we we got a pretty good setup now you know so there's some nice dressing rooms there and you know the away teams obviously benefit as well from having you know more space so Finn Park is hugely outdated and we need to we need to upgrade it um, we've got a really exciting plan in place now it would be pretty close to what Salford have in the UK um, the only difference being um, that there would be because there's an existing structure there from the stadium project that you know that will be kind of still incorporated into that so it wouldn't be that the modular completely modular stuff on three sides but you know it's it's badly badly needed like i i know you know as a director of the club when i see a bad weather forecast for a friday night i can pretty much look at that and know what it's going to cost us right and if that's a big game if that's a big game that can be a not insignificant figure um where the weather goes against us like not weather that's going to get the game cancelled and that that's actually kind of a rarity for the games actually to be called off but the games where you know your crowd may be substantially down mm. because there's just not enough cover the facilities just aren't good enough um that's that's a hammer blow every time it happens so if you're moving to a new facility then where you know everybody's going to be covered it's going to be atmospheric the match night experience like this is really key to me because you know I'm, you know, my title isn't director of engagement, and I've been the supporter liaison officer, and you know, I've been a very, a very shouty man at the football for a long, long time, right? I think it's, it's twenty nine years now. Um, we're doing this, and it has to be good, right? I don't want, no, none of us wanted the like, this one stand where it feels completely open and it, that, that there's no atmosphere or vibe to it. We wanted. It's very important to us to have a stadium that was going to feel complete from day one and phase one gives us that right it gives us you know two seated stands facing each other um two covered terraces at either end which are reasonably easy easily convertible if we ever you know come to the point where we need that in our glorious run to champions league glory at some point the draw itself then like you need like this this is a a major major necessary injection to get like you forget how long tala was in the often and how long rovers were waiting and waiting and waiting and unfortunately like it's on the verge of you know being worse yeah, it is a long time. I mean, I had something come up on my Facebook recently and I, I almost cried when I saw it. I think it was 14 years ago. Um, mm. I put an update going, great to see work on the new stadium started. And I mean, oh, it's great. It's, it's incredible. Mm. The, the sheer perseverance of the people involved with the club to just keep going mm. through all the setbacks. And you know, it started off like it was a real Celtic Tiger time when all this was being planned we're going to have six and a half thousand seats and all singing all dancing amazing stadium i'm actually far more excited about what we have now mm. than an all-seater stadium um i that's I but, but this draw is, is hugely significant in terms yeah. of yeah it just it will give you that yeah. injection and yeah and yeah, just so, for the, so the context is the, the government grant is a 70 percent grant right and then we you know we're delighted that you know the county council um who'll be the ultimate owners of the ground um or they they own the patch of ground where it will be built, and ultimately they they will own the facility. And um, they've come aboard to help um, over a term. The FAI have come aboard to help over a term, but there's still a gap there. Right, seventy percent right. funding for a big big project. It still leaves you an awful lot of money, and that's you know that's not easy for a club of our size. But you know they, it it means you can look at things from another way, right? That when you when you contribute to what I consider an absolutely fantastic cause, possibly the best one there is. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go too far. But you know, Harps is pretty fantastic, right? And, you know, we've got an incredible story. Like, what? There's a League of Ireland club in this tiny little town, and they've been going since 1969. 
that's crazy. How do these people do it? And I'm involved and I don't know. Right? It's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a big challenge, right? But we got to just keep yeah. on going and, and it can be done, right? It this can. Is, and then can like d- d- 2024, at least you have a number there, Dan. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, Aiden, like just, um, I think it's, I was up last, last year, um, or was it last year? Yeah, maybe towards the end of 2020 on the site. And I think maybe for people who, who, who listen here who don't necessarily haven't been to Valley Buffet that often or haven't been to Harps away that often, like it's actually striking. I mean, it's actually really close to where the stadium is at the moment. People oh, yeah. hear, people hear Stranorler and they almost think like, is this going to be like Longford where there's going to be some ground out in the middle of nowhere? I mean, it's, it's, it's it's just up the road. Um, but what struck me was that, and from speaking to people at the time, that there was, there was obviously some initial work that was done there, but unfortunately there was elements of decay that was visible, you know, it had been sort of pretty weather beaten yeah. over the years. The structure that's there now, can just, is that... Um, is that retrievable or is it starting yeah, from it scratch? Is, you know, it is yeah, retrievable. Like, yeah. Those are very natural concerns, right? And certainly we would have shared them, but that's been, you know, checked by the relevant professionals and um, with the contractors and everybody. And yeah, they're entirely confident that that's, that's still entirely usable. So you can now put your main stand structure, um, you can incorporate that into it, right? So you'll have one, that main stand will be, you know, bigger and more substantial than the than the one it's going to be facing. Um, so it'll essentially end up being, well, different to what was originally planned, but in terms of seating capacity and all of that, um, it'll end up more or less being the same Similar. as what was planned. Just, just, just finally for me then, I mean, what's the, you're talking about 2024 start date, um, in your discussions at the moment around the club, you know, you're having general chat and I appreciate there's other actors and parties in this, as you've mentioned, you know, the council and, um, various players, but when, like, when is the best case scenario or the realistic case scenario for these diggers actually getting back in? Are, are we talking soon here? Are we talking this side of Christmas? Are we talking the other side of Christmas? Like, what are we thinking here? <laughs> um, we would we would hope that it would be you know in the next few months. It, it's very hard to nail these things down completely because there's always a um, there's a lot of uh, you know red tape and mm. uh, and stuff with you know. The Department of Sport and uh, it's just the sheer number of people involved, right? You know, get the County Council, Department of Sport, um, the FEI for all large capital grants. The FEI are the applicants, right? So they're central to it as well. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts there, and our own like incredibly hardworking ground development committee. Um, you know, they're they're plugging away there all the time. But you know, from everything I'm told, like it's not too far away from getting started. And you know, the bigger of a success we can make of this huge draw we're running, um, you know, the sooner we'll get those diggers on site. And you know, maybe maybe a lot of people haven't been to Balbuffet, right? I think that's going to change when we get this built. Exactly. This will be people will want to mm. come, right? This will be a, a date on the calendar. We're going to go up there because it's going to be a great place to visit. I think hoppers will want to come here, um, I, and I, I think this could serve as a model. We've already spoken to other clubs about who are looking at, you know maybe not whole stadium, but, you know, smaller scale redevelopments. They're saying, well, why, why are you go in this direction and what does it look like? And, you know, it reduces the overall cost. Um, and then and then what, what gets me excited, as I, I believe I may have mentioned, is that, you know, the, the atmosphere and the match night experience, um, that just looks like being really, really good. And once you have the stadium, there's all sorts of things you can do. You, you can have Christmas markets, you can have mm. community events, you can have all our, you know, it, it can be a real hub for the community. Um, you know, and, you know, by the way, you know, Donegal's had, you know, a lot of bad news. Obviously, there's been, you know, tragic events and, you know, going back to Micah and stuff. And, 
maybe a little bit neglected in terms of infrastructure in many ways. But mm. you know, you heard it here first, right? Donegal is going to eat the world in the next few decades. <laughs> with the with the with you know, we, we work with Grow Remote, right? So um, we put it in every program. You know, here are jobs that you can get in Donegal right now, and there are fantastic jobs and roles that you can now do these, and you can live in this incredible part of the world, and you can have that scenery and that lifestyle, and there's lower prices on your doorstep. And you can work work for those companies, right? So that's that's a hell of a thing. I think I was going to take off, and we will be right there in the middle of it. I, being you, can, football club. you can put us put LOI Central down for a ticket anyway, and uh, even <laughs> maybe for in a, in a good mood, we'll, uh, we'll sell a couple. There's, 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 there's three of you there, lads. Come on, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we'll de- <laughs> we'll it's, be in it's, touch. It's, 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 we we'll look forward to and listen. listen on, I, I I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. And Aiden, thanks a million for coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So. Yeah, I look forward. Um, I look forward, Johnny, to having the uh, the Yellow Boy Central stand in, um, <laughs> or the, the collar and cuff, the collar and cuff stand of the, the Alfie Moon. Decky, end. Decky's doing the the free shirt and the free shirt and tie, and also free stadium. Um, the uh, Peaky Band side, as you will have seen his um, vlogs, he's uh, he's great, great to follow. He goes around various grounds and often kind of he goes to Dundalk, like Northern, maybe mainly Northern Ireland. He did go to the ground, and it was. To the Finn Harps Renorler project, and it was like, God, this needs to happen. Like, please, I, like this country, nothing ever gets done, and now we've a cost of living crisis. But yeah, it needs to happen. Now. It does. It does. Um, we, we'll, we'll maybe reflect on this more in a second. We just we need to do our quiz business. Yes. From last so the week. winner last, last week's question was name the player who uh, was sent off in controversial circumstances the last time shells were in the FBI Cup final. Don't remember that was it either. Barry Clancy. Um, and do you I, remember that Rossi? Oh, it was the it was a well, I can't remember he was sent off for, but it was a very bad decision, and I don't believe that the referee ever refereed a game again. The league wow. after was it the one against Ligo, Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. Clancy. Was it? I'm trying to think. Was he done for a dive or was it a handball or something? But mm. it was it was a dreadful decision. The um, winner was Sean O'Kelly. The winner was Sean O'Kelly. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Congratulations, Sean. And uh, I've I've said this before, but yeah, we have uh, beers to send on, and uh, yeah, everyone delighted with the beers that they've gotten so far. And uh, do call into the lads as well in Tapped yeah. in Town if you're knocking around. Yeah, he did. The, yeah, it was it was a dive. Yeah, it yeah. was a, a dive. That alleged. Was, uh, alleged dive, which was not a dive. And um, yeah, Richie Winter was the referee. What do we got for next week? This week's question. Well, it's topical in the context of Colin Hawkins being our guest. Um, so Colin Hawkins was a member of the Malaysian Marvels, Marvels uh, 1997, and obviously we've mentioned Damien Duff. Uh, but one other member of that squad has managed at senior level in the League of Ireland. Can you name that? Obviously, without, don't get, without answering, don't, don't, do guess, the don't guess on air. Yeah, he does know the answer. That's a good question, Dan. Yeah, so there's one other member of that squad has managed at senior level in the league on a full-time basis. Um, it's actually weird of that squad um, that only... Aside from Damien Duff, Glenn Crow was the only other, other one to win a senior cap, and he, like, he won two caps. You know, you have it's a team. Greece, was it? Um, was it Greece? Yeah, yeah he started away on Don Givens, and he, he mm. came on in another game. But um, yeah, it's sort of mad when you think about it that, like, the, you know, the Argentina squad had 10 future senior internationals. Like, Ireland made it to the semi finals, third place game, and they only, had, they only had one future yeah, regular international in their squad. Yeah. But anyway, that's right. This week's games. The, this, this week's week, games, yeah. Ju- just very, very briefly. Um, our facilities are a joke in this country. Like, I mean, and it's 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 as as Hawks as Hawkins was saying there. It's like you go to Inchicore, it literally hasn't changed. It's like I'd uh, Tom Gravosti's dad and a few scousers were behind me for the second half. It was very entertaining. It was like there were essentially one of them was like, I'm 
pretty big lad here. It's actually hard to sit here. It's so cramped. I was like, this was brought in in the, what, noughties maybe, and it was considered, like, modern at the time. Our facilities are a joke. Yeah, there could be better, in fairness. Um, the, only, the only thing is, like, as, as a player, when you play in Richmond Park, the yeah. atmosphere is wonderful. Yeah. Because everything is so close to the ground. Mm. Turner's cross the, the far side of the pitch as well. Like, the, the fans are on top of you. So, as a player... Dan's favourite place to go, it seems. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it is wonderful. But when when you look at like you go to the showgrounds in Sligo, you go to Tala, you go to these places like that around the up, and you know they're, I suppose, for people that wouldn't be seasoned followers of the league or something, and they're coming in, it still looks better. The yeah. two most atmospheric grounds in the league, in my view, this might be a little bit uh, controversial. Oh, are don't put this on Twitter. Turner's Cross. I'll do, you'll be fine there then. Yeah. And the RSC. Now you didn't you didn't experience the RSC is loud when they get going. It can be loud when they get going, but it it's also very exposed as well. And it has a running so track. yeah, I I couldn't put the R. I, I know what you're saying, and it can be a great noise, but uh, oh no no no, I think you're looking at the tighter venues for that. Like in Daily fact, actually, Pat's on a good night. Oriel on a good night. Ori Oriel is Oriel on a good three, night. Terryland um, can be can be okay as well. Um, yeah, I haven't had much to, to chant about really. Um, I, I don't know. Like Talca can be good on a good night. I, I wouldn't have the RSC high up my list, but maybe that's just because haven't been there enough. But I don't think they're running tracks or dilutes. Rossi, I don't know. What's your atmosphere? I, I, I never liked playing in Waterford to be honest. Um, thought it was too open, too exposed, very windy. You know, um, I would have said head in the game park. Like if they've got a competitive team That mm. place does be bouncing as well I would have said Turner's probably Best best atmosphere when they were flying oh, I tell you the, the, the noise down there I couldn't get over it for a nil-all draw The fixtures this week Dan Bohemians and the aforementioned Finn Harps um, And you're forgetting the narrative There's this titanic struggle uh, the, the, Practically neck and neck At the bottom Between Harps and UCD Who host Drogheda well, they're, they're um, A bit like the Titanic And that they're both sinking At the moment Yeah All due respect um, Dundalk uh, I'm just saying though It's yeah. like a Titanic struggle Would suggest that they're Picking up loads of points And they're You know they're Jeeking it out It's At the moment It's more points being dropped I think like UCD Had that little run going And it's just lost Its momentum A small bit So It's more like Where is the points Going to come from here yeah, and, and now UCD have a big chance again. You would think against Drada, even though Drada are far better than UCD. And Drada have a weird thing that they they have a brilliant record against the top teams, particularly at home. But this is a sort of game where they seem to be a little bit in and out. The interview interview with uh, Tim uh, with Kev Doherty rather uh, in in uh, with Owen Cowser today it was interesting. Just talking about the program notes and Drada real challenge next season in terms of where they're going and investment and so on. Dundalk's like Rovers, uh, that battle for third is. I mean. No guarantee Derry going to win the cup. So uh, that battle for third and fourth is is real. Shamrock Rovers against St. Pat. Both Dan and I will be there. By all means, come up and say hello to us. Not, I, did, I, I have noticed this. Uh, I have no plans to sit with you during the game. So we'll be actually be separate. <laughs> What's that supposed uh, to mean? I'm just saying, like, no, you just, 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 just dear listener, if, if you came up to me, um, Dan, 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 has time, be, last, Dan has an inability to be nice if he's busy. He's just like, get out of my last, fucking way. The, the last Whereas time, I will actually talk to you. The last time I sat next you to Derry Johnny, City versus Shell. No, no, sorry, sorry, just let me finish here. The last time I sat next to Johnny Journey game, he performed, I would have to say, the most kamikaze act I've ever seen in a press box in my mm. life. I do this where, regularly. Where I would obviously talk about like deadlines being quite stressful if you're doing, you know, you're 90th minute and like everyone is there. And we were in Daily Mount Park and the Daily Mount Park press box, one of the better ones, but 
still it's one of these ones where there's no like so, no like if you're at, the, at one end of the row and you want to get out it's like you know people back in church back in a day or something everyone has to like scooch up and, and let them out so Bowes were one up against Rovers into the 91st minute of the game if there's a goal for Rovers like this is deadline rewrite panic Johnny Ward sits next to me he pulls it closes his laptop packs his bag steps up puts it on his back and leaves the press box with two minutes to go. We all had to get up to scooch to get out of the way. And I was it just, would have cost you about I, five seconds. I, I was walking there. I was watching him walk down the steps, and I was Fume. like, I was just like, I mean, I was like, come on, do you know? I, I want Rovers to score here because <laughs> yeah. if Rovers had scored, I, I would you would have had to. Run I had back to send up. my report. No, no, I just do it from down there. But you know, the irony of that was you. You obviously drive to games, or I had to get the I had to get the bus. Like so, that that could it could cost me twenty minutes, half an hour if I don't get out because it's hard to get out daily. The irony was when I got to the bus stop early, there was a massive scrap. All the cops came down and like started arresting people, and the bus wouldn't pull over. So it's like absolutely <laughs> useless. So I was like. I've never, I've never seen that. It's, you know, it's like someone, like if, if you're in an exam or something when you're younger, and like someone just gets up and like swaggers out of the exam. That wasn't like, me anyway. And I was just looking at you going, oh, it's just, just. Mo- it was actually night. the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen in the press box. Well, there we go. Well, um, I, I, I first division fixtures, that. please. Derry City versus Shells as well. And then on Monday night, as Dan mentioned, the Northwest Derby. Um, could be massive. You do feel if Derry City win the next two games, that's going to set it's, us it's up. It's a massive nicely. game either way. Derry uh, versus Sligo Rovers, Shells versus UCD, and in the first division, Dan, one of the problems with I guess the playoff system is that if it's kind of set in stone, these are there've been a few. Which dead probably wouldn't games. have been the plan. Like you would have thought no. that fifth place would would always be open. Wexford probably should have made a better fist of it, in my view, like because I think um, they've so many good players and they play such lovely football. It just hasn't happened for them, and they go to treaty and what could be. It probably should have been a titanic battle for fifth. Um, and as I mentioned to Tommy Barrett and Treaty, I think they performed really well on Sunday. So that's a dead rubber. Going out against Longford is the ultimate dead rubber because they're likely facing each other in the playoffs. So they'll probably put two sort of 19s teams out, something like that. Cork City against Bray, title celebrations, Dan and so on, part two. And Waterford against that loan. Again, you've got to mention that loan. I mean, it's hard to find out any information on who even plays for them. They've had a lot of mad stuff going on off the pitch. On the pitch, they've been on an unbelievable run and managed to beat Cork City at the weekend. Yeah, so there we go. I think we're done. Mark, who wins the cup? Derry. Rovers win the league. Um, Sorry, Shams win the league. Shams, Shams win the league. Shams, yeah. And yeah, yeah. what about the playoff promotion situation? Who are we fancying to come out of this? Um, I, I'd... You know, I'd say Waterford Waterford will win it and I think Waterford will beat UCD or Finn Harps as well. I do wonder will Sunday knock Waterford back a little bit momentum wise? So I think that was a big blow to them, I think. If they were the playing I think if the playoffs were this week it would, I don't think it will, no. Yeah. I think if, if Anton, I think they might learn a bit from it that um they had a bit of a run going, but Shells like how they nullified Patterson and Junior, like they, they used the wing backs very well against mm-hmm. them. Uh, it was Gavin Malloy and John Ross Wilson and like even when Patterson got around the wing back there was always a cover in centre half and I think Waterford have like very obvious threats of the teams in a particularly in a knockout game which the playoffs are people are going to target them so it actually might be something that they'll probably be prepared for that in future it could be the opposite it could actually be a positive for them in some ways but anyway, Waterford Treaty. You've, you've, still, two, got your, two you've still got your fortieth night of the playoff final, which is now definitely the night of the playoff final. If Waterford uh, had won the cup semi final, they would have had to probably rearrange the playoffs. But it's now Johnny's fortieth, November the eleventh. We're going to have the decider of the the, the promotion relegation decider at that night. You don't think all oh, we're going to be in it? 
Well, obviously, statistically, it's quite unlikely. They've won in four chance, give or take. Um, but anyway, listen, that's, we're done. We'll be back next week.